Welcome to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast presented by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, April Stearns. Each week for the next year, you'll hear an essay from our book read by the author. Igniting the Fire Within is a collection of stories of healing, hope, and humor, offering an insider's view into today's young breast cancer community. We compiled 50 essays for people diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. There is medicine for each of us in these stories, whether you've been personally diagnosed with cancer or not. Wildfire stories in general, but especially the ones you'll hear from Igniting the Fire Within, are stories of transformation. Our storytellers experienced a shift in perspective as a result of something that happened to them. And the cancer diagnosis was not the thing that happened, or it wasn't the only thing. The cancer diagnosis was merely the catalyst for later changes that led our writers to understand deep truths about the world. Each one of them learned lessons that showed them what it is to live, not just survive, in the glare of cancer. We believe deeply that the stories that change us aren't so much about what happened as they are about what came next. And hearing those stories, true stories of transformation, that's what ignites the fire within each of us. A listener note before we dive in, cancer is a salty business and sometimes talking about it and the aftermath requires salty language. Listener discretion is advised. Today's storyteller is Madison Hager. Madison is a copywriter. She was diagnosed at age 29 with stage 2A ERPR positive breast cancer. She also carries the ATM genetic mutation. She comes to us from Lincoln, Nebraska, and here she is reading her essay titled The Chocolate Chip Cookie That Broke the Camel's Back. You can't imagine how disappointed I was to learn that most breast cancer patients don't lose weight during the course of their treatment. When the oncologist gravely delivered the news that my breast cancer was more advanced than they initially thought and would require chemotherapy after all, I was weirdly elated. I thought, great, not being able to eat will be a plus and I'll finally arrive at the skinny body I truly deserve and even though I'll have cancer, I will be beautiful and thin and no one will ever be mad at me again because I will be skinny and also have a life-threatening illness. This could really work in my favor. It was only months later when I finally made some distance from active treatment that I began to realize I had been in the throes of an old problem, an eating disorder. Everything started to click one day after I had a real honest-to-God meltdown after eating a cookie. I was sobbing, breathless from the big gasps rattling from inside my chest. I had just broken one of my many food rules and had dared eat a lone chocolate chip cookie after having some bread. It dawned on me then that maybe it wasn't normal that I had been using two different calorie counting apps all throughout treatment, and more importantly, that there was another way of living that didn't involve self-flagellation over baked goods. I didn't arrive at an eating disorder because I got cancer. My need to control different aspects of my life, including what I eat, is closely related to my need to control the environment around me so that I don't feel anxious. That I aspired to look sickly from chemo in the name of thinness is absurd. But when my body betrayed me by giving me cancer, leaning into the disordered eating felt like having a say over a situation that was entirely out of my control. 
I was a fat kid growing up, and you better believe I learned from an early age that this was a negative trait, something other people didn't approve of. It's not that I learned this at home. My parents never commented on my weight or my body, but my peers were quick to do so, seemingly as soon as we learned to verbalize our thoughts. I was a sweet kid. I was precocious. I could read when I entered kindergarten before my fifth birthday. I liked making up wild stories. I was curious and bright, imaginative. I was all the things we want our children to be, but each time I was bullied for my weight, I felt like a failure, like I had personally done something to make whoever mocked my body hate me. I was too innocent to develop the kind of festering psychological wound of self-hatred that I have nursed through most of my life. I have many garden variety memories of being bullied, both by kids and adults alike. There are so many that it's not even worth singling one out. And yet, when I close my eyes and put myself back in those places, I can see that all of these memories share a common thread. The sinking feeling that there was something inherently wrong with me for looking different, for not being pretty or thin, and for embodying the acute pain of otherness that is being fat in our society. To escape this pain, I began dieting when I was 12. It was the summer before I started junior high. I took weird supplements that were part of a multi-level marketing scheme, ate fewer carbs, drank lots of water, and started exercising. And it worked. By the first day of school, I had lost 25 pounds. The compliments rolled in, languidly washing over me in waves of approval. One day, walking down the hall, a boy who had followed me home chanting, Fatty, fatty, two by four, couldn't get through the kitchen door. Just months earlier, stopped and said, dang, you look good. I felt like a celebrity. I didn't stop there. In health class, we watched an old news special on actress Tracy Gold that detailed her difficult battle with anorexia. It was meant to serve as a warning to us that eating disorders were real and easy to fall victim to, but it didn't scare me. I saw anorexia as a means to finally obtain the perfect body, and soon enough, starving myself became my new normal. What's funny is that I was quick to point the finger at other girls I thought were too thin or had eating disorders while I hid beneath an oversized hoodie, meant to conceal my body. When my stomach would gurgle loudly in class, I didn't think, I need to eat. Instead, I thought self-righteously, I'm glad I didn't eat. At 12, I was convinced this was my ticket to salvation for having been born with the wrong genes. I never ended up receiving treatment for my eating disorder. It simply petered out into disordered eating that I could conceal as a quest for health, though truthfully, I'm not sure whom I had fooled. I do not blame my parents for their inability to see how sick I really was, but I wish they would have because my relationship with food and my body never normalized. Whether it was dabbling in bulimia throughout my teenage years or faking ADHD in college to get an Adderall prescription to the miles-long list of diets I pursued in my 20s, I was always trying to change my body and, to a certain extent, who I was. When I got my cancer diagnosis, I wished for two things. To lose enough weight that I looked frail and beautiful like cancer patients in the movies and or total transcendence from my body dysmorphia and self-loathing via ego death. Two very different desires, but what can I say? I'm a woman who contains multitudes. Of course, neither thing happened. I was terrified to gain weight during chemo, so I meticulously tracked everything I ate. 
Then once I realized I wasn't losing any weight, I kept waiting around for my ego to die from going bald. I kept waiting around for my ego to die from going bald, which also never happened. If anything, my ego got much louder and my concern with my appearance grew tenfold. I guess I thought a disease like breast cancer would eclipse how tedious and terrible it feels to have a body. I thought learning how short life really is would open my heart and fix up my disordered eating couldn't. Instead, it broke me open in ways that were eerily familiar. It was the same old feeling of people's eyes on me and the awareness that I was different from them because of how I looked. It was feeling lost again because the voices of strangers have trained how I think about my body. I am trying to teach myself that I don't need other people's approval to exist, regardless of what I look like. There is still a lot to unpack. I have bigger questions about whiteness and thinness, a femininity, of a woman's entire personhood reduced to her appearance so that she might feel safe in a world made for men. These are the things I don't have answers to yet. I only know that I have been complacent thus far and that I'm trying not to be anymore. I stopped dieting after my meltdown over the cookie. I deleted the calorie counting apps off my phone. I started learning about food neutrality. I even stopped exercising with the goal of changing my appearance. More importantly, I finally found the words to ask the people closest to me for help. The transcendence of my corporeal form hasn't happened yet, but that's okay. Survivorhood hasn't really made me feel like I've been pumped full of wisdom or sage advice either. If I've learned anything since my diagnosis, it's that cancer taught me to redefine my self-worth in a way that's richer than face value. I am starting to feel beautiful because beauty moves through me, because I can crack myself open and stare into the raw bits and still love righteously, wholeheartedly, not because looking a certain way gives me permission to occupy space. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn. Check us out at wildfirecommunity.org to order your copy of the book so you can read along each week. You'll also find our magazine and storytelling workshops there. Big thanks to our producer, Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant, Monica Haro. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really, tell everyone you know. Or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to igniting their own fire within. Fire within.